You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Certainly, the news over the last 24 hours has been this consistent effort, I would say, by the Federal Reserve central banks around the world to continue to fight inflation. Uh, of course, we had the Fed yesterday, the Bank of England, and the ECB this morning. We heard from Christine Lagarde uh, still moving rates higher. Uh, we want to see what that means for markets and what that means for kind of, you know, as we think about 2023 setting us up there. We can do that with this roundtable that we've got together. Vince Signorella, global macro strategist with Bloomberg News. He joins us on the phone, as does Jennifer Lee, managing director and senior economist with BMO Capital Markets. Jennifer, let's start with you here. Um, again, the, the central banks have been nothing else if consistent. What is, what is your takeaway from the last 24 hours or so? Uh, good morning. Um, thanks for having me on today. Um, you know what? I'm. If you had told me like 10 years ago or so that on all, on all the central banks, the ECB would be on the Uber hawk, I guess you could call them, on the on the right. big spectrum of, of central banks, I would have said, get out of town, you know, but that's what's going on. This is crazy. I mean, uh, especially after her uh, the, the press conference, and she was extremely clear this morning. Usually she's, you know, it's a lot of, you know, everything's going to depend, it's going to be meeting by meeting, but she actually said that, you know, we're going to be expecting 50 basis point hikes, you know, steadily for some time until we get to a a significantly restrictive level, um, something like that, you know, uh, which is very, very clear and very uncharacteristic for for, for this uh, for this particular central bank. I thought that was quite interesting. Meanwhile, the Bank of England, you know, you got one person voting for 75, uh, two people saying let's let's do nothing, and the other six saying let's let's do 50. You know, if I were there, I'd be like, okay, is anyone wanting a a, a rate cut at this point? Like everyone's all over the map. So I find this very, very interesting and very unsettling, <clears throat> excuse me, to say the least. Uh, Vince, hop on in here because what's so striking to me is a, a very simple comment that Madame Lagarde made, which was the recession risks skew to the downside, obviously. <laughs> um, but this is a recession in Europe that has been kind of inevitability for almost a year. It was supposed to hit us the fourth quarter of this year. It was supposed to happen by now and actually hasn't yet happened. When do we get that recession? How bad is it? And how long is it going to be? I think you're going to see it uh, show up in the numbers uh, probably starting in December, most definitely January. Um, you know, I think that Jennifer made a good point without question. The ECB basically, as a trader said to me today, kneecapped the market with their aggressive uh, hawkish output. When you look at the data, and, and I must say I'm actually a little surprised at the, the magnitude of the sell-off today, um, that you know, uh, retail sales in the month of November, mm -hmm. uh, a holiday season uh, declining, what is that going to say for us for the first quarter of next year? I think the consumer is absolutely tapped out. Now, if the market's selling off because they see a recession uh, and maybe a drop in earnings and, and therefore a drop in stocks, I think they also need to see the fact that that recession is going to bring a, a Fed pivot. So it's a bit of a push and pull, I think, as to uh, what what whether the cart leads the horse or the other way around. I think in, in this case, um, I think this sell-off is, is – is going to be the last hurrah. And as the numbers start to come in quite um, slow and uh, and such, I, I think we're going to see markets turn. Jennifer, um, Vince brought up the retail sales data today, and we just had a retail analyst on just before you guys, and she was suggesting that 
the weaker than expected retail numbers today reflect in part maybe the pull through that we saw in October when retail sales were up and surprised on the upside up 1.3%. So maybe don't get too concerned about the consumer. But boy, this data point that we saw this month has been highlighted kind of surprising, kind of disappointing. Another guest this morning says that he's concerned about rising consumer debt, that they're buying stuff with on their credit cards. So if you put all that together, how do you view the consumer uh, right here and then going into next year? So we, um, you know, this is like uh, today's retail sales report. I mean, this is another indication of how we can't, we can always take one report, you know, with a, with a grain of salt, I guess. You know, I mean, we, we had that upside surprise last month and everything was great. And now all of a sudden, you know, we see this big pullback. pullback. So it's almost like um, a lot of expenses were being pulled forward. Um, but, of course, it is concerning that, you know, there is more um, uh, consumer credit being being taken on. You know, some of that I'm, I'm wondering if it could be, you know, because, you know, some of the credit cards you get points. So, you know, you could be using up more of your credit cards for for that reason. But I'm going to go back to, you know, the fundamental um um, support, I guess, be, below the uh, or beneath the U.S. consumer, and is that they are still they still have savings, you know, not as much as they used to, obviously, but at least they have some savings to work off of right now. Job growth remains very solid. You know, the labor market is still tight, as, as uh, Fed Powell said yesterday. And as long as wages keep increasing, you know, yes, they're 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 whittling down their pile of savings, but at least it's still being replenished with rising wages. And I think that's the more important thing, I guess, going forward. But of course, you know, the U.S. consumer is not as healthy as it once was, just given that prices are still rising quite quickly. So we do see consumer spending being pulled back and, in, in, you know, it's already being pulled back already now, but even more so um, in the uh, uh, in the next year, probably, um, uh, we're probably going to see negative growth, I guess, in consumer spending for the first half of 2023. Hmm, okay. Hey, Vince, I want to get your perspective from a trader's perspective. Talk to us about liquidity in the market price broadly defined. You know, we've got the Fed no longer flooding the market with uh, liquidity. In fact, kind of the opposite here. How does that play out day to day for kind of just the, the plumbing of the markets? I think you just see bigger swings, um, you know, a lot more volatility uh, with liquidity shrinking a touch. Uh, but traders adjust. They basically don't need as big a position uh, with higher liquidity and, and higher excuse me, higher volatility um, to, to make the same uh, nut they need to make on a day-to-day -day basis. So the positions are smaller, the volatility is higher, and, and you're going to see bigger swings in the market. just want to make one point about the employment issue that Jennifer mentioned. One of the, I, I got an email yesterday from essentially someone covering um, ResumeBuilder.com. And they did a survey and found one, there, one third of respondents predicted that they were going to do layoffs next year of upwards of 30%. Now, if that plays out, the Fed's idea of jobs being strong is going to get totally trashed. And I just don't see how they go on the path. All of the mm. central banks go on the path that they're, they're swinging at right now. Vince, again, real, real quick, what's the, the trade going into the, the end of this year? I, I think you look at fading the dollar. I think risk is going to turn as we head into the first quarter, um, and if if not so, you'll you'll see earnings decline, and that's the big large cap uh, companies uh, getting hurt by what we've seen as a higher dollar this year. I think we've seen the peak in the dollar for a while. All right, good stuff. Vince Signorella, global macro strategist with Bloomberg News, and Jennifer Lee, managing director and senior economist with BMO Capital Markets. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. One of the issues that the market's been dealing with in the face of higher inflation, pending a recession, the consumer's been pretty darn strong through all of this. Well, we got some retail sales today that kind of put a pause in that. Retail sales, the headline number, Zero point, a negative 0.6%. The consensus was for a negative 0.2%, so a little bit worse there. And that compares to last month when it was positive 1.3%. So that's giving some pause in the marketplace here, uh, you know, bringing up concerns about the strength of the consumer and maybe a recession. Um, let's bring in an expert here. First of all, we've got Kriti Gupta, Bloomberg Markets correspondent in our studio city and from Matt, so we appreciate that. Angie Solanke, uh, she's a national director of retail services uh, in the U.S. for Collier's. Uh, Angie, thanks so much for joining us here. What did you make of the retail sales data we saw today? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so what I would say is that in the sales did definitely drop. They dropped, but we believe that that's due to the pull forward in October where we saw significant sales in terms of holiday season shopping, uh, cyber you know, preparing for Cyber Monday and Black Friday, people decided let's go ahead and shop in October because we started to see discounts from retailers much sooner. It actually started in the summer of 2022. So what does this mean, uh, Angie? Again, we're, you know, I like to say my holiday shopping is done, but it's not. I haven't even started yet. But what, what's the feeling you're hearing from your retail clients about just kind of how the holiday season's shaping up and, and maybe – their recession outlook for next year? Yeah, and one thing I have to just really um, highlight here is if we look at our year-over-year core retail sales, so excluding food service, car and gas, because gas prices have come down, car prices have come down, we still have a pretty healthy retail sales year-to-date at 5.6%. So we're actually looking at a pretty good, I would say, first test of the holiday season where the retail sector has cleared some hurdles, is still be looking positive, uh, maybe not for the month of November, but it still should be a pretty solid holiday season, even though consumers are going to be mindful of how they're spending, where they're spending, because we've still seen increases in pricing, especially in the grocery sector, um, and, some, and also some decreases in some of the other categories, such as you know, the, the apparel side, home furnishings, etc., so, Angie, one of the concerns, we were just speaking with uh, Dennis Gartman uh, of the Gartman Letter has been following markets for decades, and he brought up a concern that he has that consumers are running up their credit card debt after being flush with cash. Uh, they've exhausted most of that. They're now running it up with credit card debt. Is that a concern for, as you think about retail sales? It is. I would say that would be in certain categories where we're going to see maybe the higher price points, electronics. Uh, things of that nature. Um, so we will see some debt creep. However, I think that hopefully we'll start to, you know, when we start to look at the um, spend and the type of spend in the different categories, we hope to see that that may start to slow down a little bit and balance out. Um, but we are a little nervous about that looking into Q1, Q2 of 2023. Well, Angie, as we see these numbers, these inflation numbers, at least on the headline level, decelerate. It's not a secret. Inflation is coming down. A lot of that is coming from the base effects, though, um, on, on the way up. Is that going to actually show up in consumer patterns? How long before the consumer says, oh, actually, things are getting more affordable? You know, I think if we have to look at, you know, the way the consumer is spending. So we're seeing some interesting trends, especially in the grocery sector. So that's a daily need, a weekly need. So they're coping with these different inflationary issues um, by adjusting those shopping habits. And they're balancing that, um, you know, you know, way of their spend through looking at private label goods, lower cost brands, um, opting for less expensive so that pattern will continue. And I think when we, if we continue to see gasoline prices, 
you know, decrease, that will also help in terms of just kind of that mindset in terms of where we're going. Yep. Now, keep in mind, CPI is still at 7.1%, whereas sales um, and growth have been less than that. So we're, we're definitely managing and or monitoring that, I should say. All right, Angie, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your perspective when we get some of these uh, retail data points. Angie Solanke, National Director of Retail Services for the United States for Colliers. Uh, so retail sales came a little bit weaker than expected. And Look at the markets here. It's a little ugly. We've got a lot of stuff to digest. We had central banks moving over the last 24 hours. Uh, raising rates, talking tough. We've got some weaker retail sales, so we need to break it all down here with some smart people, and we got that going. Uh, we got to roundtable this thing. Uh, Jonathan Hurdle, uh, executive chairman of Hurdle Callahan and Company. Uh, he's been doing that. He manages about $20 billion, uh, but for me, the highlight of his resume is he's a Penn State grad, so we're talking some Penn State football here. Uh, we got Ira Jersey. Uh, he's chief U.S. interest rate strategist with Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, both of these gentlemen joined Curdy and I in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. John, you've been doing this a long time, uh, managing money for others. What do you make of the last 24 hours when we've got seemingly concerted effort on the part of these central banks to continue to raise rates? Well, I think today's action is just a simple sell on the news reaction. Okay. And so this is what they did, what we anticipated, and they're selling on the news. So I think one of the things that people do uh, that make a mistake in the market is they see trading action, and they try to apply fundamental logic to it. And so if you've been long and you get this tick and you say, I've got to get away from that trade, all of a sudden it cascades, the market's down 650 points. People say, what happened? Nothing happened. It's just trading. They're yep. selling on the news. That was one of the first things I was taught by uh, one of my mentors on the print side. He said, sometimes traders just trade because they trade. That's all they do. Uh, Ira, hop on in here. Would you agree with that? Would you Would you yeah. say that's so, what's happening? So p positioning matters so much, right? So yeah. what happens is, is that you get people in positions like right now, just about everyone in the world is in flattening trades in, in my market, in the in the rates market, particularly in the U.S. And then, um, you know, so it makes it harder and harder as because so many people are in those positions for the curve to flatten more. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden there's something fundamental that occurs like you know Christine Lagarde being very hawkish and the next thing you know you know you can you can flatten a little bit more because you now bring in what would be weaker hands so so I, I agree I mean the, the intraday volatility sometimes is just all about positioning and people you know just squaring positions and managing risk as opposed to longer-term trends which obviously I think ultimately do have to come back to more fundamentals well you're talking about the inversion Talk to me about the depth of the inversion, because I think that's really significant. It's been the two tens, for example, it's been inverted for a while. But the fact that we got, I think, to like 82, I want to say, yep. negative 82 basis points, that seems extreme going back to um, even the 70s when we saw, I think, negative 200. Yeah, so briefly saw negative 200. But but basically, the, the market had spent about um, the better part of a year, nine months plus, at negative 100 to a negative 150 basis points. Right. Now, I'm not sure that we'll get to 100, negative 150 again this cycle, although it's not out of the question. But um, our target's about negative 100. And the way that we get there is that the the, uh, the, the long end stays more or less where it is, 3.4 to 3.6% on, on the 10-year. Um, but then the two-year yield still is it has to go a little bit higher. So two-year yields have to sell off a little bit because the market still doesn't believe that the Fed is going to hold interest rates at the 5% plus or minus a little bit level yeah. for all of next year. The market is still pricing for there to be a Fed put, and they, they think that if you know unemployment starts to go up, that the Fed's going to start cutting rates at the end of next year. Once we take out that pricing for cuts next year, that's where you get two-year yields higher. Hey, John, you know, we're here in December 2022. This is a year where stock there's just no place to hide stocks bonds i mean just ugly out there and we haven't seen that in a, in a long time and i wonder what you're telling your clients here and you're i'm assuming you're penning a, a year ahead outlook letter to your clients how do you put 2022 into context to set up for 2023 well i mean it's um you know one of the, first of all we're chief investment officers so we're looking to invest not trade and i want to draw a bright line between those two i was struck by you know the there's two types of forecasters, those who don't know and those who don't, those who don't know they don't know. <laughs> right. you know so I, we try not to forecast. We're looking at the current cash flows and reacting. So we like the U.S. better than non-U.S. We're managing global portfolios, so we're overweight U.S., but fully invested in stocks. That doesn't mean we won't accumulate some cash. So in other words, when a lot of the risk that people think about in the marketplace should be addressed by portfolio construction. So in other words, do you have enough cash and short-term fixed income in your portfolio that you can weather downturns? So this is a time where you might be accumulating dividends and putting them in things where sh like short-term fixed income where the yield's gone up. There's nothing wrong with that. 
So that, um, so we like that we're neutrally equity market, overweight U.S., shorter duration still. We were, um, we, were, we were quite short, and then we took some of that off recently, but we're still a little short. So short duration, overweight U.S., fully invested in equities is sort of where we are. Like on the stock side, we like um, sort of growth stocks with pricing power. But in general, um, I just think, I mean, I'm going to be controversial in a minute and say, I think we're spending too much time talking about, I don't mean this conversation, mm -hmm. but the world is talking too much about the Fed. We know about the Fed. You know, uh, Chairman Powell's trying to be as transparent as he can. Yep. There's nothing that I know that the market doesn't know. And so it's all in there. He, say, he tells us what he's doing, and then he does it. So I really am struck by some of the more fundamental things that are going on that give us huge reasons for optimism that I never feel like anybody's talking about. For example, we actually may have fusion energy in my lifetime. Right. We people that, said yeah. the other day, oh. Yeah, this is, no, don't get overexcited. It may take a few years before it really works. <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> I can wait a few years. I mean, this is unbelievable. And the other one is the mRNA breakthrough that we just talked about in the news and what that does for mankind. So we've got this never before positive environment in the world. Uh, I mean, if you go through every statistic, you know, birth rates, uh, you know, health around the world, economic expansion, everything around the world is better than it's ever been. And I would make the case that Almost everything we're seeing is a trend in that direction. It's not linear. It's bumpy. But I just saw while I was waiting to come in that um, the China ADR delisting may yeah. be yeah. delayed because we're going to get access to audits. Well, isn't that interesting? The free yeah. markets, the truth will set you free. If you can enhance transparency and you add value, you get access to global capital and good things happen. So there's a, a I'm, I, I do think we have a lot of rational reasons to be optimistic. Uh, and the Fed's going to do what the Fed does. Uh, and it doesn't really change much for a long-term investor. Right. Ira, it is, what should, what's going to be the next data point that, you know, the Fed, the other central banks are just going to be really looking at it? You know, as John said, that the long-term trends uh, for most of the world are positive, but they have to live in the here and the now. So <laughs> how, how do you think they're going to be playing this out? Because I, I don't, I can't imagine either any central bank is looking to push the economy into a significant recession. Yeah, but so, so this, well, we're, just, we're talking to Paul here, I think, a little bit about trend versus cycle, right? So a lot of people, you know, we're, you're in news. I was on a trading desk for a long time, so we cared a lot about the cycle as opposed to the trend, right? And the long-term trends in some cases are might, might be positive. So, I, you know, the, the next data point, like, and, and the Fed is right now data dependent in trying to kind of smooth out this cycle, right, and trying to get inflation down. Um, so, so the next inflation print is going to be important, right? So next, next, actually, next Friday is going to be insanely busy from a data perspective. You're oh, going to have so much data to talk about, you're not going to know what, <laughs> what to do because you get the, the PC data, we get the personal spending and income data we get a so whole you should just plan on being here again yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do okay um, so, so the uh, importantly though I think it's going to be the January CPI print like because because that that print and and the PC print later in January are going to be both we get those before the February 1st Fed meeting. So, so with the idea that is the Fed going to go 25 basis points or 50 basis points in February is going to be answered probably middle of January based on what the uh, CPI number is well Jonathan, hop in here because yeah, I was gonna say, Ira, what do you think the ten-year Treasury being like after this news? Uh, it goes from three fifty-three to three sixty. In other words, it's not really doing much no, as an investor. Yeah. And I think about discounting future cash flows. Those farther out cash flows mean a lot more on the discounting than the short-term cash flows do. So I think that ten-year to three sixty is still. What's it telling us? I mean, what is it telling us about core inflation, do you think? And I know it's a global number, and, but what do you think it tells us about core inflation? Well, it really very little about core inflation in and of itself, except that the market's anticipating that inflation over a long period of time is going to be 3-ish percent, plus or minus 50 mm -hmm. basis points, right? Yeah. So, um, And probably a little lower than that. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I use I do use the market numbers. There was someone who was was trying to convince me the other day that that the market's being still being manipulated by the Fed, even though the Fed's now running off its balance sheet. But uh, you know, ten-year yields at three and a half percent still is not saying that the market's worried about long-term inflation. It's worried about inflation here and now. That's why we have two-year yields at four and a half, or four and a quarter should be four and a half. But longer longer term, the market is not fearful that inflation is going to be particularly sticky. All right, good stuff. Real quick, France, Argentina. 
what you call. Oh God, I really I want Argentina in this one just yeah. because I want Messi to be the goat, and there'd yeah. be no question. But uh, but at the same time, France is so deep. They it's played such a deep. beautifully yeah. against Morocco. Their defense, yeah. the French defense, yeah. amazing. Morocco had some good chances though. You know, hit the post. I mean, there was a they you know that really, really nice bicycle kick. Yeah. So so Broke Morocco my heart on held Spain and Portugal. Yeah. And John Ira is actually a part owner of a minor league soccer club in central New Jersey. So he does actually know what he's talking about. So, you know, he's actually been in demand now during this World Cup. <laughs> Nobody cares really about the Fed. Uh, Jonathan Hurdle, executive chairman at uh, Hurdle Callahan, based down in West Conchahawken, PA, good part of the world, uh, in Ira Jersey, uh, Bloomberg uh, chief U.S. interest rate strategist, both in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, breaking down what we've been seeing from the central banks. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Lots going on in the marketplace. Uh, Tom King, we can send him home. He's been working like crazy, keeping up with what's going on with the, the central banks. Uh, Jason Greenblatt uh, joins us. He's a senior portfolio, portfolio manager at American Century Investments, are located in Kansas City. He joins us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, and yet another Penn State grad in our studio. So these people are everywhere. Jason, what do you make of the last 24 hours? Central bankers around the world raising rates. We got some a little bit weaker than expected print on the retail sales. Um, you know, on the, on the credit side, global fixed income side, what do you do after it's been such a brutal year for global fixed income? Yeah, great, great question. And great to be here with you today. Thank you. Um, what do you do? So I think you need to have dry powder. This, this rally that we've uh, experienced since October, the, the expectation that inflation has peaked, we agree with. Inflation has peaked, but the central banks clearly do not like it. Um, there's more work to do, quoting Powell from yep. yesterday. We agree. There's more work to do. The markets are realizing that, and we've gone probably a bit too far too fast. Well, the markets are realizing that, but they're also pricing in cuts next year, which the Federal Reserve is actively saying, we're not going to do. Believe us, we're not going to cut. We're going to stay elevated for a while. What happens if they do, though? How quick does that decision happen? So I think you have to take a step back and ask, why would they be cutting? It's not going to be for a positive event. The fundamentals are slowing. If you look at their uh, summary of economic projections, they're coming down. Um, is the market prepared for that? There's a, there's a huge question mark. And I think if you rewind the clock 12 months ago, many uh, strategists did not anticipate the, the rate uh, hikes and, and the pace that we saw this year. I just think it's it's maybe too premature to look out 12 months and say, well, there's going to be a rate cut. If that happens, I think that's a bad outcome. But isn't that the playbook that the Fed has been operating on for the past two decades, essentially, that the minute things go south, you cut rates? Yeah, we're, we're accustomed to buying the dip. I mean, that's we saw that this year. This, the Fed has our back. And I agree with that. I mean, why why let everything unwind since the financial crisis till now? Um, you're right. 
They have our back. It's so interesting to hear an investor say the Fed has our back. Yes, exactly. When the Fed has been uh, raising rates here. Jason, I know in your in your career, you've done some high yields, some distressed credit. If we are, in fact, going into a recession in 2023, and maybe it's a little bit deeper than most people think, how are the credit markets going to react? How's the credit quality out there? Uh, it depends on which part of the market you're looking at. Investment grade corporates, we're not too concerned about. Valuations do look tight. We think there's some weakness, but that's not where the problems are going to come. Problems are going to come from the smaller companies, the companies who have, you know, been battling to uh, to bring workers on to wage inflation. Now they're laying some of them off. Um, the the rate hikes, the rate hikes are, are chewing into their free cash flow. These single B rated bank loans that have, you know, floating rate capital structures. Those are going to be the areas that, you know, with with our credit expertise, we can go in and, and buy these these opportunities cheap. But it's probably not going to be for another six to 12 months until we really start to see some of this carnage. And what are your economists there saying about a recession in 2023? Is they talk to you guys, the portfolio managers, the analysts actually putting the money to work? Yeah, probability in, in our minds from our investment committee is, is a 60 plus percent chance of a recession. I think when we look back at third quarter earnings, there's some companies that you know really struggled with margins. You're seeing that with retail. Um, chemicals, there's probably more of that to come. Um, so looking backwards, things look okay. Looking forwards, we're a lot more cautious. In the corporate space, are there any sectors that you guys like right here or maybe going into 2023 where there might be a, you know, a 60% chance of a, a recession? Yeah, the spaces that we like is, you know, certainly high quality parts of the market. Um, you know, single A's, we, we certainly like the banks. Um, we like utilities. Those are, those are going to be more stable. They'll, they'll come out uh, probably unscathed in our minds. Um, but there's certainly a lot of, of other sectors that we think you know, will feel some pain here. Well, I think what's interesting to me about just the carnage that we've seen in, in the markets, and it feels like it's been a no-brainer that it's as the Federal Reserve hikes rates, everything sells off from bonds to, to the stock market, um, arguably even commodities, uh, depending on how you look at it. But it almost feels like this year has been the the year in which you're pricing in this kind of doom and gloom recessionary scenario. Do we actually see some sort of turnaround in 2023 or is it just more of the same? Well, we think a lot of the pain has been done already in the rates market. On the spread side in credit, we haven't seen that yet. Fundamentals haven't fully caught up to what's going on. And again, Powell recognized that there's this massive tightening that's taken place hasn't been fully felt yet by the market. And I think that's where the opportunities are going to uh, to present themselves next year. Is that true, though? Has it not been fully felt by the market when you're looking at, um, I mean, it feels like what he's using to say that is financial conditions, essentially, which are still sort of easing. But isn't that kind of the market's job to price this in and then to look six to nine months down the road? So if they are easing a little bit, it's not saying that there isn't going to be pain in the front half of 2023, but that things will turn around later down the road. At least that was my interpretation. Yeah, yeah. So the, the pain that I think you're referring to is, is really, again, from, from treasuries being up two to 400 basis points this year. In terms of spreads, credit spreads are not pricing in a recession. They usually peak about six months in advance of a, of a recession. So if you're thinking six to 12 months out, a corporate OAS and IG at 130, typically it's 200 plus basis points. So we've got quite a bit of way to go if, if that's the downside. Typical for like typical for a, a normal run of the mill recession. Okay. Um, if it's worse, you know, I've seen strategists pencil in two fifty plus. We don't think it's gonna be that bad. So all right, putting twenty twenty two in perspective, historic losses across many verticals in fixed income, given that at backdrop, what are your clients asking you today? Yeah. Um, what should we be doing about duration? So interest rate risk. Uh, you know, we have an inverted curve. Should we be adding duration? The answer is yes in our minds. We should be going out the curve, we should be adding duration because again, our high, higher probability of recessionary risk, you know, further out and, and inflation coming down, that we should see at least stability in the long end of the curve, 10s, 30s. Um, we do see some more upward pressure in the front end of the curve. So we would be adding duration in the longer end of the curve. And this whole inverted yield curve stuff, it's, I think it's like negative 80 basis points on the twos, tens. Mm -hmm. I'm an equity guy. I, I don't know. Is that important to you? 
Uh, it sure is. I mean, I, I think it technically, it, you know, it signals whether you look at twos, tens or the three month versus tens, certainly signaling that, you know, that there's stress on the way. Um, I think it's something that equity investors and fixed income investors should, should certainly be aware of. All right. Good stuff. Jason Greenblatt, uh, Senior Portfolio Manager at American Century Investments, uh, joining us here on our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Um, lots of good clients I had at American Century out in Kansas City. They got an office here in New York. You guys are everywhere. Uh, they got about $200 billion in assets under management. How about that? There's money everywhere out there. All right, let's switch gears and talk a little quantitative analysis. How are the quant geeks out there? How are they playing this market uh, so far? What's the outlook going forward? And yes, I always refer to them as quant geeks. Um, and you'll see why. George Patterson, CIO, PGM Quantitative Solutions, PhD in physics from Boston University. Like he's like a rocket scientist. And then he goes fancy, and, starts, fancy. and starts getting investing. George, thanks so much for joining us here. Really appreciate it. You know, how do guys like you and the way you guys look at the market and, and your clients, what, what do you make so far of 2022? Uh, uh, thank you very much uh, for the introduction and uh, and for the quant geek. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about uh, that. <laughs> uh, no, it, 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 I, I'm more than other people actually a rocket scientist because I actually did spend my first few years working at a NASA research facility ah, there uh, you go. before getting getting, getting, into quant, <laughs> getting into a quantitative uh, quantitative investments. Um, so if you look at the past three years. We've had three cycles, really, in three years. We had uh, a slowdown or, or a shutdown, really, from COVID, you know, extraordinary fiscal and, and government support, and then the resulting inflation. So this has just been a massive shock to the system. Uh, I think the, the current environment is not surprising, given that we've had such strong returns in the past couple of years, but those returns have really been fueled by you know, huge stimulus uh, from both central banks and and um, and governments. So, so I'm not surprised we're seeing a little bit of of softness in the market. But the real, what I see as the opportunity is that people have really just gotten out of equities, and there's been a huge shock to the system because people are just selling things indiscriminately. So there's really a lot of relative value opportunities where where people are just getting out of names wholesale and and not looking at fundamentals. Um, that was really true in in 2020, but um, you know we've really seen types of quantitative strategies that that are very broad based and look across markets, look across assets, um, really do very well because there's just been such a, a such a, a shock to the system. Not unlike following the financial crisis, not unlike following the tech bubble, where it's really going to be several years of this going forward that there's just been such a displacement it's going to take time for for things to get back into equilibrium well george tell us a little bit about how quickly that could recalibrate if in fact the market is right and if in fact we do see some sort of fed cut in the back half of 2023 that the central bank is a very i i want to say um dogmatic, for lack of a better term, in terms of saying, no, that's not going to happen. But how quickly does the liquidity story change? How quickly um, does the positioning change if indeed the Fed decides to pull that trigger? Uh, well, th this, is, this is a challenge because as it, all, everything we know indicates that the Fed policy acts with a, with a significant lag. So, you know, we're, we're seeing impact now from cuts, from, uh, from increases that were made months ago and again it's a it's a challenging it's a challenging process so um, you know from my perspective how quickly can we get back to equilibrium it's going to take some time there, there's a number of um, there's a number of pressures on equity I mean first of all people are just hesitant to be in equity when inflation is at level at this level and rates are going up um, all of our research shows that it makes sense to have you know some allocation of real assets some allocation to commodities as, as a very good inflation hedge. Commodities may have pulled back a bit since the highs, but it still had a great, great performance year to date, and we still think it makes sense to have something like that in, in a client portfolio. But there's a lot of pressure on equities because, you know, many large institutions have just focused on private assets, and that's been a great place to be. It's helped them meet their long-term return needs, but the challenge is, is that they're illiquid. 
So a lot of so what you've seen is as equities have come down, equities get marked to market every day. Your public portfolios get marked to market every day. Private assets don't. They're typically on a quarterly cycle. It's a slow-moving cycle. So right now, people are seeing their private allocations go up, mostly because of the fact that they've just not adjusted. The problem is, is that if you're in that position and now you're at where you need to be with your private assets and your public assets are worth less, you still may need to meet, meet cash flows and you likely can't get out of those private assets, so you're going to sell what's liquid. And that's likely going to be equities or fixed income. So this is going to be structurally a way on the market for, you know, probably for the next six to nine months, I think. Hey, George, as a quantitative manager, I just envision in your office there's a black box sitting on your desk and it spits out trading and investment ideas all day long. Could you kind of lift the cover off that box for us and tell us, kind of how yours works a little bit, how you guys identify opportunities? Yeah, so, so, so the funny thing is, is that when people say quant, I think, you know, quant gets, you know, pictured as everybody's doing the same thing. There's a, there's a blackboard full of, uh, full of formulas and that, you know, all quantitative firms are the same across the street. In reality, there are many different types of quants. There are some that are kind of you know, really much more like electronic market makers, very high frequency. We tend to, and, and I view those more as a, a trading strategy, very short horizon. We tend to be much more fundamentally driven. So, you know, yes, we do have a number of, you know, mathematical models about how we think markets behave, but one of the key hallmarks, particularly at PGM Quantitative Solutions, is that we're always thinking long-term you know, fundamentally driven or something that is really driven in research. You know, from our perspective, it's very easy with financial data to fool yourself. There's a lot more noise than there are signals. So it's important to really have something that is that is driven by, you know, long-term investment beliefs, you know, long-term models about how it behaviors, how, how investors behave and how markets work. We find that that for a long-term investor that's looking over a cycle is really the right way to, to be thinking about things. So yes, we do have we do have some equations, but a lot of times, like if you look if you look at our portfolios, you're going to find that they, you know, they're a well diversified, but they oftentimes you know have stocks that we think are relatively attractive, adjusting for growth um, and and sector. Um, generally slightly higher quality and places where we think that there's, you know, like there's a, not really a chance of a value trap. So if you look at our portfolios, you're going to find they really make a lot of long-term investment sense. And that's really the type of, of um, equity portfolio that we build at, at PGM Quantitative Solutions. On the multi-asset side, we spend a lot of time thinking about how we position defensively, you know, whether we have strategies that provide downside protection or, you know, some strategies try to, like, uh, offset with inflation. That's been a very, successive, a very successful call for us over the past uh, cycle where, you know, we've always had a commitment to having some commodities in the portfolio, but it's really paid out very well for us over right. this past cycle. George, really interesting stuff. Appreciate getting a few minutes of your time. George Patterson, he's the Chief Investment Officer at PGM Quantitative Solutions. Well, another, what I think is going to be potentially big news, U.S. regulators took the first step toward the most widespread revamp in more than a decade of the way stocks are traded, a move that aims to spur better prices for investors and direct more business to traditional exchanges. Folks, that's all I know, um, but I need to learn more. I think it's important. Uh, so let's bring on Larry Tab. He's head of market structure research with Bloomberg Intelligence. He actually does this for a living, and he's very good at it. We, we also managed to have Barry Ritholtz stick around a little bit. He knows a thing or two about markets, so he'll be joining us as well. Larry, can you, in layman's terms, tell me what the SEC is proposing here? Well, they put out four proposals. The first is greater transparency uh, on retail uh, broker execution quality. So basically giving broker or individuals the, the ability to see if Robinhood or Schwab or Ameritrade or whoever uh, has better execution stats than the other. So, so that's generally good. The second um, is going to be reducing tick sizes. So the tick size now, which is basically the spread between the bid and the offer, is set at a penny for all stocks over a dollar. They want to reduce that, uh, and they're going to create four different bands. For the most active and tightest stocks, they're going to wind up making that a tenth of a cent. 
Uh, for the next tier, it's going to be two tenths uh, of a percent. Uh, for the next tier, it's going to be half a penny. And then for all of the things that trade generally wider than a cent, uh, four cents, uh, they're going to make uh, they're going to leave it a penny. The uh, the third thing uh, is they want retail investor orders to be auctioned off. Uh, so uh, they're going to try to get uh, a larger percentage of retail flow into exchanges to be auctioned. And then the last is a best execution rule, uh, which not just only uh, applies to equities, uh, but applies to uh, all other securities asset classes that the SEC looks over, which would be uh, uh, bonds, um, uh, option, uh, I guess, you know, bonds and munis and corporates and things like that. So Barry, hop on in here for the average mm -hmm. investor. What does that mean? Good thing? Bad thing? Yeah, anytime spreads tighten, anytime you you um, make the cost of execution uh, a little cheaper, it, it's really good for for investors uh, because their costs go down, and we know that costs are are a big drag. Yeah, as much as we forget because the changes happen so incrementally over time, this is and as much as you know, apps like Robinhood and the gamification have been, and FOMO have been a crazy distraction, this really ha has become the golden age for investing. It, spreads are the narrowest they've ever been. You could buy and sell ETFs for free. And by the way, if you want to buy the whole market, uh, the Vanguard total market or the S&P 500, it, it'll cost you three or four bips a year. So the the world today is so different than it's been over the past half century, yep. we, we sometimes forget that. Yeah, I mean, when I started trading on Wall Street, it was priced in increments of an eighth of a point. Boy, those were the good old days. Uh, Larry... You forget I, quarters. I, I know. I, I'm not sure. Oh. There are going to be some... There are going to be some unintended consequences here. Uh, pricing stocks at tenths um, will probably hurt institutional investors who want to trade a lot. So we may see a lot of their orders go dark, go into ATSs or go into uh, hidden midpoint orders uh, because they, they don't want to um, get their orders picked off. And with adding either five or 10 price points between each penny, order size will go down. So the average order size now is about 155 shares. We will absolutely see this go uh, below 100 shares. The average trade size will go below 100 shares. Um, and, and any displayed order, you know, for 500 or 600 shares, there's going to be somebody who's going to penny you for a tenth of a cent or two tenths of a cent. So that's going to push institutional flow into, into the dark. Um, and then the, the other question will be is, you know, right now, the, the, the current wholesaling process, um, the wholesalers work with the, the brokers to internalize a lot of this flow, but the Schwabs and the Ameritrades and the Robin Hoods hold them accountable, not just for the actively traded names, but for the 10 or 11,000 NMS names or basically all of the stocks. So we could see the most average stocks doing better or the most um, uh, active stocks doing better and, and having better pricing. But really where retail investors uh, do a lot of their trading in the less active stocks, the stocks that really have very little institutional uh, demand we can see their spreads getting much worse. So what's been the pushback, or what do you anticipate the pushback will be, Larry, from the big Wall Street firms, the big trading firms? Uh, the big ones, not not so sure. Certainly the retail brokers are going to push back because the, the wholesalers actually take good care of them. These are the Citadels and the Virtus and the Jane Streets and Two Sigmas. They take pretty good care of the institutional or the retail brokers um, because not only do they give uh, their clients price improvement. Now, you can argue the price improvement should be more on the exchange and with auctions, we'll see that. Uh, but they also provide them with size improvement. Basically, uh, they execute larger orders uh, for, for lower prices and, and they get uh, they get taken care of in case uh, you know they have a bad trade. The market maker will make make them whole. The question will be is um, what will happen there, and will the market makers continue to do that? The other thing is that the brokers receive a lot of money in payment for order flow, um, which the question will be is will with, with tighter ticks and and this auction rule, 
will the wholesalers still provide them with payment for order flow? And if there's not enough payment for order flow, the retail brokers could go back to charging commissions. So I think, um, I, you know, on the institutional side, the brokers will probably be okay. They have algorithms that can trade in the dark and, and a lot more of the flow will be automated. Um, it'll be the retail side that'll and the wholesalers that'll complain and, and possibly even the exchanges because the exchanges uh, they're going to see their access fees cut. We'll probably see fewer exchanges. There'll be some consolidation there. Um, you'll see probably some some more concentration in uh, the New York and NASDAQ, uh, their formal exchanges. And I think you'll see New York, NASDAQ, and SIBO maybe shutter some of their smaller exchanges. Currently, there are 16 exchanges. We may see that right. go down to 10, uh, which probably wouldn't be a bad thing. All right. Good stuff. Uh, we'll keep on top of this. Uh, Larry Tab, he's head of market structure research with Bloomberg Intelligence and Barry Ritholtz, head of Ritholtz Wealth Management and the Masters in Business podcast. Getting the latest on uh, some changes in the rules of how stocks are traded. It's kind of sounded like kind of the, the plumbing of the stock market to me. But I guess yeah. the, the takeaway, uh, as Barry suggested is and Larry suggested is, Lower prices for investors, and that's a it's a good thing. Yeah, but I have to say, on those headlines, you saw the likes of Robinhood shares, Virtu shares, uh, really take a hit. So you can yep. see that this is going to have a very real effect for a lot of these brokers. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Success. It's discipline. It's teamwork. It's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing global wealth management and investment banking firms in the industry. Stiefel, it's where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.